You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Happy Happy Easter! Hello, North Valley. This is the Bales family in Scotland. We just wanted to wish you a happy Easter and say thank you again so much for your support and your prayers as we get settled here in Scotland to prepare a way for people to know and experience the good news of Jesus Christ. It's that that we dwell on this Sunday, and we so hope that you're encouraged. We hope that you find peace and rest for your souls, as is promised to you if you turn your face to him. We love you guys and miss you. We'll be praying for you as well. All right, let's celebrate that real quick. Yeah. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Uh, Let's practice He Has Risen. You're going to say He You say has, and then you say risen. And let's see who's the loudest. Ready? This is a practice, though. He has risen. Okay, the last service, amen. The last service, this side won. It it could be a side, like it's just louder. We'll see what's happening. I see some strong guys over there. Open up those lungs. We're celebrating Jesus. We go crazy over football games. This is, this is the greatest historical event in ever world history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important than that. Okay, so here we go. Ready? You guys won. Hey, they had double power, though. They got like two, they got two wings here. Hey, guys, uh, Pastor Ryan here. So glad you are with us. Exciting day today. Uh, the Christian life is the best life. Amen? Amen. It really is. It doesn't, it, there's nothing like it. Uh, today you're going to hear stories and testimonies and we're going to look in scripture about people that investigated the claims of Jesus Christ and found out there is life in the name of Jesus. The historical event of the resurrection is the central part of Christianity because the Apostle Paul said that if Jesus has not raised from the dead, then all the preaching, all the teaching, all the faith living is completely in vain, meaning it's absolutely worthless. Jesus is alive. He was raised from the dead on the third day. According to scripture, he was crucified, buried, and raised again hundreds and hundreds, in some instances, thousands of years before it was all predicted. And it came to pass on this day that we celebrate uh, Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Amen? Let's celebrate that for a moment. Okay. <clears throat> couple of things real quick. Uh, The couple that was on the uh, video just a moment ago, uh, that is uh, the Bales family. They were uh, a couple in our church, wonderful, sweet family. Uh, We're celebrating Jesus to the whole world, seeing our missionaries go out even from this church and are helping start churches. Last year, this church, by the grace of God, gave over $100,000 towards local and global outreach through all of our initiatives locally and globally. So let's thank you and thank the church for doing that. That's awesome. Um, So we want to help start and strengthen churches. We got a bunch of churches uh, that we're actually starting in the next few years all throughout Arizona. Uh, Many of those preachers come through here and preach, and you'll see more of that. Today on social media, you're going to hear from a few of them that we're financially supporting. So make sure you check us out and pray for all the uh, ministry and missions that we're doing. Um, Today as well, after service, we're doing baptisms. We're going to baptize probably 20-something people today. Um, So let's celebrate that real quick. 
So um, some of you are terrified, my friends that come out of either Catholic backgrounds or um, Episcopalian or whatever. Um, maybe it's a, a kind of a tough situation. I always tell everybody that comes from those faith traditions, I say, look, your mom and dad did the best uh, to their knowledge of what to do to help do, to raise you right. But the Bible talks about a full-on immersion. You get baptized, and it's identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And the apostles did this. Jesus did this. This is a very normal part of the Christian life. So today, if you haven't decided to be baptized, but all of a sudden, sometime in the service, you're like, I'm getting baptized. You can get baptized. So we're going to have shirts for you. We're going to have shorts for you. It'll be after this service, so just line up, and we'd love to do it. So I got three changes of clothes today, so it's going to be a, a, super, a super Sunday for us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, let me pray for us, and we're going to get into God's Word together. Amen? Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you right now in the mighty name of Jesus for your church. Uh, you died for your church, and not just a group of people, but an also an individual, every single person here that identifies with you, Lord, and you want many more to come to know you and be a part of the family. So today, I just pray that you're honored and exalted through the teaching and the preaching, through our singing, all that we're doing. And Lord, we know that when we're proclaiming truth and opening our minds and hearts to your truth, it is good. It is so good. And so we pray right now for the Holy Spirit's help to Help us uh, get in line with our design that you've made us. You're the creator. And we pray that this word would strengthen us and that we might know you even more. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. John chapter 20, um, it doesn't make as much sense unless you understand what happened in John 19. On Good Friday, Jesus Christ was crucified according to Scripture. And we celebrated that on Good Friday, our first Good Friday service um, we looked at the cross, spent time at, uh, going through the scriptures, singing songs about the, the power of the cross. Uh, Jesus came in his first coming to conquer sin and Satan. Jesus died on that cross so that there could be forgiveness of sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the Passover lamb. He was the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, that all who would believe in him might uh, experience a, a new birth and become children of God. And so we celebrated that. John chapter 19 tells us about the crucifixion, but Good Friday is good because Easter's coming. Let's try it again. He has risen. All right. So, um, where was I? Can't remember. <laughs> um, so, tw John chapter 20, it's the resurrection. Um, we're going to look at that today. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 31, going through a lot of passages. Um, it's going to be great. Here we go. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Let me just tell you, first day of the week, that's Sunday. Uh, right now, millions and millions of believers are worshiping, no matter what's happening uh, in any country, no matter if there's pain or persecution, trial or trouble, Christians will continue to gather. And Sunday is the day, it's the Lord's day. It's the day we're celebrating the resurrection. So 
Right now I'm thinking I woke up this morning at four o'clock in the morning and I heard about Christians that are still gathering in Jerusalem right now, messianic Jews that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, no matter persecution, no matter uh, trials that they're facing. I'm thinking of China right now. In communist China, there's still believers that no matter what's going on in the craziness of their government, they're still going to worship Jesus and follow Jesus. Today is that day when millions and billions of people are worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord. And this is the first Sunday right here. This is the first Easter Sunday right here. Who's there? Mary Magdalene. Mary's, oh, oh, oh man, for you and me, she should be a powerful story of God's grace. She had seven demons that had been cast out of her by the Lord. I don't know what kind of evil that she had opened herself up to, but it was pretty horrendous. The Roman uh, uh, idea was that there was a pantheon of gods, and probably Mary Magdalene grew up in a, in the, within the Roman Empire and basically worshiped anything of the, the God of her choice. There was uh, all sorts of evil attached to this. The Bible says that Jesus cast out seven demons from this woman named Mary Magdalene. Uh, and my point is, is I, when we're singing that song, Amazing Grace, you remember that? We're singing that song, you know that song, one of the most powerful songs ever. Um, Amazing Grace was with Mary for a number of reasons. She's the, she's the first to show up at the empty tomb. She has a, such a troubled past, and yet she's got faith now to show up and to see what's happened at this tomb. It says that she saw it was dark. Uh, we gathered this morning, had a few hundred people in our courtyard. It was still dark outside. She saw that the stone had been rolled away from this tomb. And so what does she do? He says that she ran and she went to Simon Peter. She had to go get Peter. Why'd she have to go get Peter? Well, first of all, she wants to try to give some kind of account, like, hey, the tomb's empty. What happened? And um, a woman wouldn't have a verifiable um, uh, witness and testimony and credibility, so she needed to get other men involved in order to verify it. Um, This was just the culture of the day, and we're going to see how God reveals his amazing grace to this woman Mary, but you're going to see some of the other characters of the scripture, perhaps even in a different light. So she runs to Simon Peter. How many of you are familiar with Peter in the Bible? Raise your hand. Some of you. Okay. Yeah. Peter, he's the guy who's a bold, daring, courageous. He's the guy um, that said, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere and I'll do anything for you. And then Jesus is like, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he's like, you're kidding me. And he does. Um, Peter stands out. He becomes one of the greatest church planners ever to live. He dies a martyr's death, super courageous. So she runs and she's like, I got to go to the leader of leaders. So she goes to Peter. And then it says, and the other disciple and the author, which is John, writes this. And most scholars and commentators believe he's writing about himself. It is himself. And the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. John's going to point out real fast that Jesus loves me. Maybe John was singing, Jesus loves me. This I know. Hey, he invented it right here. Uh, 
he feels loved by God, boy, that's powerful for you. How many of you could say, I feel loved by God right now? Amen. Some of you might feel like, man, I don't know if I feel really loved by God. Then you can connect with the story of Mary and Mary Magdalene. So, loved by God and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not where they have laid him. She's reporting. We don't know what happened. Perhaps his body was stolen. This was a, a very much a possibility. There was rumors uh, probably at this point in time that the Pharisees, the Jewish people um, who had had Jesus crucified for claiming he was the son of God, and then that didn't work. So they claimed that he was, uh, he was the king of the Jews, which that was true, and they get him crucified there was a rumor that was kind of leaking out that the, the Pharisees and the Jewish people were organizing to steal the body of Jesus. Um, and, and so, uh, and they kind of blame it on, they were going to blame it on the disciples and say that the disciples stole the body and then there was no really resurrection. It was all a hoax and all these rumors started breaking about, out about the confusion. And so she's probably thinking somebody stole him. Somebody stole the body. So let's investigate what John has to say about this. So it says, verse 3, we see some of the apostles here. So this is uh, Peter. It says, so Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going towards the tomb. So they have a conversation. Let's go to the tomb. Let's go to the tomb. Let's see what's happening. Both of them were running together. Notice that. But the other disciple outran Peter and reach the tomb first. I think that's kind of an interesting side note that John's going to outrun Peter and he wants you to know about it. He wants you to know that he's loved by Jesus and he's faster than Peter. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's definitely kind of brotherly talk. Uh, John has a brother and, uh, and they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. They were kind of bold and brash. How many of you grew up with brothers? Raise your hand. You men, how many of you got brothers? Okay, I, I'm the middle child and I have a younger brother and I have an older brother. So somebody was always getting beat up. Either I was beating my little brother up or I was getting beat up by my big brother. Uh, one time my dad came out and uh, we were fighting and somebody said to my dad, uh, hey, your boys are out there fighting. And it's like, that was just a normal part of our, we were just rough. We just loved to scrap and have a lot of fun. Um, John is named a son of thunder, and he's been changed by Jesus. Some of the rough edges have come off. He's an old man by the time he's writing this. But he does want you to know that he outran Peter. I think that's comical. But he's also got some other interesting details about this resurrection account. It says that, that they... Um, it says that both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. In verse four, 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. He was probably thinking about, like, well, what's, what's going on? Uh, yeah, I see linen cloths. Maybe he thought Jesus is really there. Uh, Mary missed it. She's worked up. Maybe he's catching his breath. I think he's catching his breath. I think he's like trying to, he's probably dry heaving. He's sitting there. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So he's like, ta-da, beat ya. Goes in. He saw the linen cloths lying there. So Peter's really first into the tomb. 
John's there at the edge of it. Peter runs in. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. He's like, okay, old man, I got gotcha. you. Verse 7, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Very interesting observation there. I thought about that. I thought that's a great parent Bible verse to memorize and tell your kids, Jesus made his bed. He folded his clothes. Uh, I don't know at the resurrection if Jesus kind of told the angels, hey, I got a super busy day. I need you guys to fold these up. I'm going out of here. Or he did it himself. I don't know. But they're folded up. Why did I bring that up? Because I'm bringing that up because it's a resurrection, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a robbery. If you've ever been robbed or your house has been robbed or your car has been broken into, thieves never leave everything folded up real nice. They don't run through your house and make sure everything is really nice and organized. They run through there and they, they sack your home. If it was a robbery, the place would have looked like a wild, like things would be torn apart. It would not be nice and neat, and they definitely wouldn't fold anything and leave it right there. It's not a robbery. It's a resurrection. Verse 8, and then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. That means John. What did he believe? I think he believed that maybe this is the Lord. Maybe this is the Messiah. But his belief didn't do a whole lot because he doesn't go back and tell anybody, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. We don't have any account of that. He kind of sits there with his belief and doesn't do anything. That's all we know. He's standing there. He saw and believed. It does say that. But then look at verse 9. He self-confesses about him and the other disciples, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. How many of you have been to church for a while, you hear Bible teaching, and there's still a lot of things you don't understand? Raise your hand. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're lying. You can spend your whole life studying the Scriptures. I've The Bible is the most powerful, wonderful book in the world, 66 books, more than 40 different authors, over multiple languages, multiple time periods, weaving together some incredible tapestry of incredible harmony, prophecies given, prophecies fulfilled, all the details. I could spend my whole life studying the Scriptures. Uh, hopefully, uh, in a short time, I'm going to Israel, and we'll see some of the geographical locations and places that our scriptures talk about. Um, spend your whole life learning. So they did not understand the scriptures ex- specifically about the resurrection. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. They didn't, they didn't go do anything. They just went home. When you're confused, when you're frustrated, when you're sad, maybe you go home. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside weeping at the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. So Peter and John, they're exiting, 
And Mary's outside crying, Mary Magdalene, which she's experienced the grace of God in a powerful radical way, had a very, very troubled past. She shows up in faith and courage. She probably feels insignificant because she's a, a woman coming to this place. It could be looked at wrongly or for whatever reason. And she's weeping outside, but she sees something that they don't see. Watch this, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white. John didn't see an angel. Peter didn't see an angel, but she saw the angels. They were sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why, why are you crying? This isn't a disrespectful uh, question. It's a very kind and courteous question. She said to them, and they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. She's probably incredibly panicked and fearful because angels aren't normal occurrences of what you see. Angels in the Bible are God's ministers and messengers. They're supernatural creatures. And they come to give some explanation. They're warming her up to meet the Messiah, the resurrected Messiah. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw, help me out, Boy, let me see if you guys are listening. <laughs> Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. There you go. She saw Jesus. Mary's the first person to see Jesus. Mary Magdalene, if you read in the scriptures, um, her name is at the top of the list in all four gospels when it comes to the accounts of the women uh, attending there. She was at the cross. She was at the empty tomb. She's the first to go tell the disciples about Jesus. Um, she was very prominent. She provided financially for the ministry of Jesus. She was a prisoner to her own sin. Uh, when she had opened herself up to all sorts of darkness and evil, and she had been pardoned of her sin by the Lord Jesus Christ, she knew a lot of grace. Some of you have done a lot of stuff in your past, and you've got a lot of shame, and guilt with your past, the good news is, is that you can be pardoned from your sin. This is amazing grace for Mary to be the one who meets with the Lord. The very first person that the Lord reveals himself to is Mary Magdalene. And it says this, she turned around, she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Maybe the light was coming in. Maybe he veiled her view. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? That's the exact same thing the angels had just said. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Just one word, and she knows exactly who it is. Some of you maybe have lost a, a father or a mother and maybe still in the back of your mind you could hear, hear their voice. And what a cherished moment it is. She is with the resurrected Lord. She's confused, she's afraid. And Jesus says to her by name, calls her by name and says, Mary. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus was the chief shepherd. The Bible tells us that the shepherd knows his sheep and will call them by name. And that's exactly what Jesus does. It's again highlighting the amazing grace that she's experiencing. She turned to him and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For she ran and gave him a big hug super fast. And uh, Jesus says, don't cling to me. And it's like, I don't know what that would have been like. Hey, don't cling to me. <laughs> you know, like uh, buzzkill, Jesus. Come on, let her give you a hug. But what's going on here? Jesus said to her, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Jesus was reminding her of a new relationship that would occur. Jesus is no longer present on earth uh, for the next uh, uh, church age. He will be in heaven when we say... Um, where is Jesus today? Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But what does Jesus give us as believers? He gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a, is a relationship and an opportunity for now, if you're a believer in Christ, you have a personal relationship with God and you can experience God in a very powerful way through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father God the Son and God the, help me out. And so Jesus is redefining the relationship. Don't cling to my earthly body. And then he even talks about, he says, go to my brothers. That's indicating the spiritual relationship that we have uh, through Christ. That we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Mary takes all this in. Look what happens. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. And, and he said these things to her. On the evening, on verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, uh, the doors being locked where the disciples were. So Mary runs in. She talks to the disciples. They're locked up. They're afraid. They don't have faith. They don't have courage. The only guy that was at the cross was John. The rest of them were in hiding. Um, They'd seen the empty tomb. Where is John? John supposedly believed when he saw the empty tomb, but he's still afraid. Fear of the Jews. What would the Jews do? Well, the Jews were the ones. Caiaphas was the high priest. He was the one that was ultimately responsible, I believe, for pushing Jesus forward for the crucifixion, manipulating Pontius Pilate to realize this was a threat to Rome. Well, what did the Jews get done with Jesus? Well, they had him flogged. And they had him crucified. So they're afraid they're going to go down with him. So they're hiding in locked doors. And then all of a sudden, Jesus came and stood among them. That would be weird. You're in a locked room, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he says, peace be with you. Immediately, Jesus brings peace. What you need to know about Jesus is in the middle of your conflict, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your doubt, God's amazing grace still reveals himself and he offers peace. The Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He says, peace be with you. Verse 20, when, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. 
These men would walk out of that room that day and they would go and live a life of absolute courage and tenacity and perseverance to share and show the love of Jesus Christ. They would die a martyr's death. But there was somebody missing. Anybody remember who that was? It's Thomas. So, here's the Holy Spirit, verse 22, and he said this, and he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold sins from any, it is withheld. What is Jesus doing? He's giving them power and authority. Jesus gives you power and authority as a believer. You have power and authority. Verse 23, we meet Thomas. Thomas is one of the 12 apostles. He appears in all four gospels. And it says, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin. I've got twins and Thomas is a twin. It says, uh, John writes, uh, Thomas uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So where was he? I don't know where Thomas was. Maybe he was out investigating and seeing the empty tomb for himself. He's late to the party. Thomas missed it. Jesus showed up. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never help me out. Some of you are like that. Unless I can see it for myself, I won't believe. Here's the good news. Again, it's God's amazing grace. There's room for that. There's room for that. You don't believe about the claims of Christ. You don't believe in Christianity. I get it. I remember before I became a Christian thinking Christianity was a great value system for any kind of culture or society. It's what you build a fabric of society around. And if you just do those things, there's basically the golden rule. All the religions are kind of the same in some way. Then everything's just fine. And so Christianity to me was more of like a good idea. And Jesus was probably just a fictional person. Or maybe he was historical, but definitely not God. And so I didn't believe. And then I thought to myself, I'll have to see to believe and before I could see to believe anything, I got overwhelmed by the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and became a Christian underneath the stars of Colorado, overwhelmed by the power of creation and realizing how small I am. Some of you, when you take an airplane ride and you're looking out at 30,000 feet, you look down and say, there must be a God. Some of you, when you walk to the Grand Canyon and you see the power of it and you say, there must be a God. Some of you, when you see that ultrasound and the baby's heartbeat, you might just say, there must be a God. Some of you have prayed a prayer and seen somebody healed, and then you say, there must be a God. I hope you believe, but some of you, it's okay, you need to know, it's okay that you need to see to believe. But I think you're more blessed if you don't have to see to believe. Watch, we'll continue to work through this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus has an appointment with Thomas. He's going to meet the doubter. Eight days later, so what was he doing in that eight days? I don't know. If I was a doubter, I would probably go investigate. I'd probably go look and see what's going on here. <laughs> I'd probably go interview Mary, the mother of Jesus, like, hey, Come on, seriously, is he really the Lord? I'd go interview his brother. 
I go interview everybody. We don't know what Thomas did during that time, but eight days later, he shows up again inside this house. And why all the disciples are huddled up together, it's like they have families. Why don't you go home to your wife? But they're all hanging together because they think there could be a revolution. Somebody could break in and kill them. So they're all hiding together. And God's going to just say, that's okay. I'm going to meet you right where you're at. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. And although the doors were locked, lock those doors, Jesus came and stood among them and said, again, peace be with you. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When the angels came and declared that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, they, they claimed that Jesus would bring peace. The peace that you have with Jesus Christ as a believer right now is not a peace, that, uh, it's not a, a peace that's final. There's a lot of lack of peace in our world, is there not? Just go watch the news, read the newspaper. The peace that Jesus is talking about is a peace that supersedes and, and transcends all of understanding. It's that peace that you see when people are dying on their deathbed and they say, I'm at peace. It's a peace of knowing that in, in the end, that this life, there's a transition from this world to the next, that you're okay. It's going to be okay. It's also a peace that God is talking about that one day when Jesus returns, he will come back and he will establish and fulfill the Lord's prayer. Our Father, help me out who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So what is that prayer? That prayer is, Lord, we want more of your kingdom from heaven on earth. Well, that day has not happened, but it will happen. And Jesus is constantly talking about peace that he's, he's, he's bringing, he's brought, and that he will bring. Verse 27, uh, Thomas is probably pretty excited uh, Jesus is there. He can see him. He can hear him. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. If I was Thomas, I'd be like, how'd you know I wanted to do that? That's exactly what I said. I said to the disciples, I want to do that. Put your finger here. See my hands. He probably fell apart at this point in time. He's like, Jesus knew me every word I just said. I'm such an idiot. I've doubted. Oh my goodness. Put your finger here. Shows him the nail mark. See my hands. Put your hand at the place in my side which he was speared. And then he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Disbelief is the worst thing you can do. Disbelieve that there is no God. I think it's probably safer to be an agnostic than it is to be an atheist. Atheist absolutely affirms the idea that there is no God. Agnostic says, well, there could be a God. I just don't know him. If you're an atheist, my prayer is, is that you turn into a, at least an agnostic today. And there is a God and maybe he's Jesus. And if you're an agnostic, my prayer is, is that you'd move from, there is a God, wait a second, his name is Jesus. Go study Muhammad. Go study Buddha. Go study all of them. And then tell me which one you think has the most verifiable, historical, clear record. Nobody will be higher than Jesus. So here we go. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And verse 28, and Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. So Thomas, my Lord, my God. 
He's affirming Jesus' deity. He didn't say my teacher. He says my Lord and my God. And uh, my Lord, my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, I have. I finally saw you. I do believe. But look what he says. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and me. We're blessed. We haven't seen him, but we still believe. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which, which are not written in this book. Uh, he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people after his death, burial, and resurrection, before his ascension, proving himself. It says, verse 31, but these are written so that you may help me out, that you may believe. That is the mega theme of the gospel of John. Believe, believe, believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life. The best life is the Christian life. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is the creator. The Bible says in the beginning... God created everything in Genesis, and then in the Gospel of John, John puts it all together for us, and it says he points to Jesus as being the one who created everything. In Jesus' earthly life, he was a carpenter, and he built things. Jesus, as, as God um, in the heavens, he's the one who built the whole world. He built you and me. Why will you have the best life if you trust Jesus Christ? Because you are his creation, ladies and gentlemen, and he is your creator. And nothing works better when the created things are in tune with the craftsman, the one who made you. You will never find the peace that you need unless you get in line with your design. God has formed you, fashioned you, and made you to be in line with who he is. There is no life in, that is true life, everlasting life, apart from Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what John says, that by believing, you may have life in his name. One of my most exciting groups of people that are coming to faith in Christ are um, Jewish folks that have studied the Old Testament scriptures, and they're starting to see that um, the prophecies are being fulfilled, and they're starting to see that, you know what, uh, he really is the Christ. The Bible talks about in the end times that there will be more and more people that are coming to faith in Christ. And the Bible also talks about that, that the church and the time of the church and times towards the end times will be before his return is that there will be an incredible tension and persecution. And right now in American history, you see so much of the stuff that's going on and it's, it's causing us to go, what do we believe? I want to share with you a testimony about a man in our church who came to faith in Christ, and he was like the doubting Thomas, and he had a lot of questions. And he asked his questions, and he got answers by studying and looking and investigating. Here's Scott's story. Check it out. I grew up in a very loving and supportive home. However, faith was just not part of my upbringing. What I learned about God and Christianity, for that matter, is from what I learned in public school. What I was taught was that science had effectively disproven God, and that if you believe in any of the stories in the Bible, it's no different than believing in fairy tales. Unfortunately, uh, that's more or less a position I took for my entire life up until the beginning of last year. Early last year, a random thought came to me, and it was to simply learn more about God. 
I found myself seeking out arguments for the existence of God. And what I learned completely rocked my entire foundation. I came across mounds of highly persuasive evidence and arguments for not only the support that God exists, but for the Bible being completely true and accurate. So honestly, it should have at that point taken me more faith to remain agnostic than to simply convert. But unfortunately, I still had some doubts. Maybe it's just my genetic makeup or what I do for a living, but I'm extremely analytical. So first, I had to convince my mind before I could convince my heart. To somebody who's not a believer, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around how this could be true. It wasn't until I went to my first church service, willingly, and hearing the Word of God with open ears, that I just knew deep down in my soul that what I was hearing was true. And at that moment, I quietly repented and placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I have been enthusiastically immersing myself in the Word of God, and I've also been forming some really great relationships with the fine people here at North Valley. I just find that I'm a nicer, kinder, and more charitable person, and that's positively impacting my relationship with my wife, uh, with my son, and even my employer. This is not of my own doing. This is all because of the good work that God is doing in my life. For me, uh, I'm obviously big into apologetics. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And when I read that something like 75% of all kids that attend youth ministry end up leaving the faith altogether once they reach college. I mean, the person that I have in my mind is my own son. You know, he's, he's five and a half years old right now. He tells me every day that he loves God more than anything in the world. And I don't want my own son to walk away from the faith. So that's where I come from. I want to give him good, sound arguments so he can confidently go back to these people that are asking him questions or even just challenging his own doubts and just feel really good about what he believes in. When I personally came to faith, one thing that was obvious is that this is the most important thing in my life. Just be curious, question your own doubts and see where the evidence leads you. And I'm confident that if you're open and honest, it's gonna lead you to Christ. That's a, such a great story. You know, what I love about Scott's story, too, is that he asks the questions, and some of you are like that. You're like the doubting Thomas, and the good news is, I mean, in God's grace, is like, that's okay. Like, you may be taught, you may have thought that it's not okay to ask questions. Um, I got news for you. The Bible's got answers, you know, and as you investigate, I do think that you will begin to see some incredible truth that could change your life, and you would it's a big deal. I mean, the Bible talks about eternal life and eternal death and separation. And so I just want to invite you as an individual is to think about that, about maybe if you are that doubting Thomas is like, just look at God's grace. He doesn't say, get out of here. You, you don't, you need too much from me. You shouldn't investigate. He says, no, I welcome that. I'll show you exactly what you need. And so I just want to encourage you, you in that. And um, in a minute, I'm going to invite anybody to pray to receive Christ that wants to. But if you're uneasy about it, maybe today's not your day. That's okay. Just come back and continue to study and hear the Word of God and investigate the Scriptures, ask questions. That's okay. Some of you might be like, though, like Mary, like you had a very troubled past and you're, you're like, it's overwhelming to think about how God's grace has showed up in your life and that 
you're, you're given a new opportunity, a new life. You've been pardoned from your sin. And so maybe you're that troubled person that maybe never made that transition. You kind of feel like maybe you're too unwanted or unworthy. You're invited. Jesus shows up and ministers to Mary and changes her life. So let me pray for us and um, give you an opportunity for some of you maybe to start that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's Easter Sunday, probably no greater day in the world you could start that relationship than today. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every man, woman, and teenager and child here in the room and online or under the Ramada right now. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps make a little sense of this and soften the heart. Lord, quicken the mind too. Thank you, God, that you are Savior, you are Lord. Father, for my friends here today that maybe they feel like they've been unwanted or unworthy and could identify with Mary's story. They've got a lot of troubled past. Might they see the amazing grace you offer? Father, for those that are the doubters or the skeptics and they really need to see to believe, Lord, remind them about your amazing grace. It's worth their study. It's worth the investigation. It's worth the questions. This is life, eternal life we're talking about. So Father, for all those that have that willing heart and open mind, might we start that relationship here today for all those in the room, online, under the Ramada. Just pray with me a simple prayer just to make sure you just walk across that finish line in your mind and in your heart. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my need for a Savior. I do pray and ask God that you would forgive me. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. And today I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Make me new. I surrender my life to you. And Father, for all of us, might we be uh, reminded of your great, amazing grace. Might we be reminded that there is life in your name, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Here's what the Bible says, John 20, 31. These are written so that you may believe everything I just preached Everything John recorded, these are written so that you may believe. That's future generations he was thinking about. That was the church. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's that Messiah. He's the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ and received him today as Lord, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. If you're from out of town, uh, tell a family member or a friend that, hey, you decided to follow Jesus. That's awesome. So let's celebrate right now for all those that have made any decisions. Um, if, if you are around this area and you want to let us know right now, you could take out that connection card. We want to help you get started on your journey. Um, if you're a new guest with us, you can take out that connection card, fill it out, and then after the service, we'll just send you home with a gift. We have a gift for you today. 
Um, and if there's a next step that you want to take, maybe ask some questions or meet with me and talk about uh, some of the issues that were brought up today, I'd love to help you get started in your journey in this Christian life. Or maybe you just need some encouragement. Take out those connect cards for a moment and uh, go ahead and fill that out, whatever you're comfortable with, and you can turn it in at the connection corner and we'll help you get going. Um, last but not least, I do want to give you an update um, over our Good Friday service. I mentioned um, there was some hurricane or hurricane tornado uh, relief efforts that we have made. Uh, many of you are asked me if my family was okay down in Arkansas. I come from Arkansas, Texas area. And um, I waited and was hesitant to share with you, but um, I received a phone call from my brother and I asked how the family was doing. And he said that his daughter's home was absolutely 100% destroyed. It was leveled to foundations and uh, there was nothing there. Thankfully, uh, nobody was hurt. Everybody was gone. And uh, what's really sad is that, um, you know, they had some puppies and some dogs and, and some uh, animals and whatnot and some lizards. And uh, honestly, by God's grace, just to serve these little kids, you can see the picture of the family. Um, I'm so grateful. They found all the puppies and the dogs and the cats, even the cats. Um, they didn't find the lizard. They... <laughs> Um, they said that the dogs came out, some of the puppies came out, like literally like two or three days later. They're running around with neighbors calling, hey, Sparky, Sparky. And they finally emerge out of the rubble. Um, but I'm so happy for them. So we decided as an elder team, we're just going to send a gift of $2,500. They received huge support, thankfully, from the local church and some family and friends. And then uh, also um, when the insurance company jumped in and showed up with a huge check a few days later, but still they got nothing. And so we're going to help them out as a church. So let's just say thank you to our church. We've given a lot over the, this last year. Thank you for giving and making that possible. So I'm excited to be able to share with them, hey, we're sending you like $2,500 worth of gift cards and that's what they wanted so they could go buy clothes and stuff like that. But I just want to remind you, if you do want to give financially, do know your giving makes a huge difference. If you're a brand new guest, don't feel obligated to give anything. We actually have a gift for you. Um, but those of you that give, do know your giving makes a big difference. And watch today on social media, some of our ministry and mission partners saying thank you to you for your financial giving. So to Christ be the glory. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.